Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I miss you, man. I miss you, man. I miss you, Julian. I miss you, Lonnie. And it's a pleasure to meet you, Dylan. <laughs> Thank you. You too. How lovely. So polite, Julian. <laughs> I miss you, I miss you, man. Do I miss you, I miss you, man. I miss you, I miss you, man. Do I miss you? Thank you very much, everybody, for clicking on I Miss You, Man, special episode. My name's Lonnie. I'm here with my friend Dylan. And Dylan, can you please explain what this podcast is all about? Well, Lonnie, usually the podcast, it's you and me having a laugh, having a gaff, having a chat. We usually take each other through topics each week, taking turns. And it could be a topic about anything. Life, pop culture, and everything in between. Terrific stuff, Dylan. Now, the whole concept of this show is that you and I miss each other. And we do miss each other. Don't get me wrong, we miss each other a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> since know. starting this show, we actually speak more than ever, which is great. Um, but do I annoy you with my constant questions during the week, Dylan? Yeah. Okay. But that's all right. You take the good with the bad. Here's the thing. Today we've got a special guest, and he is actually someone I genuinely miss. I don't want to get all soppy about you, Julian, but you're someone I used to work with, and we worked quite closely for, for a period. In fact, at times, you and I were the only people in our office, and we you know, enjoyed some boy time. Um, now that I say that out loud, probably sounds a bit weird to Dylan. I was going to say, did you hear that? It was... Uh... <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. To be honest, I'm recording this from inside my uh, walk-in wardrobe because the soundproofing is better and I'll come out of the closet eventually. <laughs> Look, <laughs> Julian, we've, we've, I've moved jobs and we don't see each other anymore, which really sucks. Um, so it's good to have you on board. Thank you so much for coming today, Dylan. I mean, Julian. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Lonnie. <laughs> no, not you, Dylan. Julian, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Now, Julian, first off, we have to do a section called This Is Your Life, okay? So get ready. Oh, dear. Okay. Julian Barr, you were born on... I, I, I don't know when you were born. I, don't, <laughs> I haven't got that detail, but here are some things I know about you for our listeners who are, who are meeting you for the first time today. I know you're a great bloke, first up, you know. I know that you're an author of the very successful Ashes of Olympus series. You have degrees in ancient history, and you're very, very smart. What else is important to the Julian Barr story? Well, um, I can't stand red wine. That's the first thing that popped into my head. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, no, what, what else is important to the Julian Barr story? Um, I suppose that, uh, well... You know what? To be honest, I think that uh, the reader forms the the uh, finds the meaning in the story rather than the author, and ultimately, uh, it's going to be up to you to decide what's what's good about my story and what's important about my story and what's not. So, 
why don't we start with some questions and we can, and I'll let you guys decide what the salient points are of the Julian Barr story. See, I, I told you you were smart, Dylan. Oh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> Not really. I just deflected it back to you. So, <laughs> In a smart way. <laughs> uh, so, now, you're right. We're here to talk about, you know, you and being an author and creative writing and you know, some of the business of, of this craft that you're a part of. I have some questions. Uh, Dylan has some questions. And I think he has some notes you want to talk about. And I have a, something special lined up for after our discussion. So, um, yeah. Wait around for that, listeners and Julian. Shall we get going? Are you ready for interrogation? You bet. <laughs> okay. First up, Julian, take me back to you, age 10. What are you reading? What are you watching? I was watching Star Wars in the cinema. Um, the the uh, special editions when they were re-released. Um, I think I first watched Star Wars when I was uh, seven, Um my teacher, we were doing a unit on space, and uh, I, I now seriously question my teacher's decision, but she decided that watching Star Wars was, you know, a good activity for a unit about <laughs> space. Um, and uh, to say that uh, my, my tiny little mind was absolutely blown was a huge understatement. It <laughs> completely changed my life. Um, I love Star Wars. I don't consider it to be my sacred text, uh, but uh, certainly it had a really profound influence on me. And watching it, and uh, I read the script books, um, they published the scripts, and reading the novelizations of Star Wars, reading the, um, the comic adaptation of Star Wars, listening to the radio adaptation of the original <laughs> Star Wars trilogy... And I realized that there are actually so many different ways to tell the same story. Mm. And I think that it was a profound moment for me. It really influenced my decision to become a storyteller. That's, that's what I wanted to be. Oh, wow. You put yourself in Dylan the Good Books by talking about Star Wars first up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you say that's when you want to become a storyteller. Are you writing stories as a kid? Um, terrible ones, yes. Um, <laughs> yes, um, lots of very derivative things. Um, yeah. And uh, my very first story was when, when I was six years old. Uh, it was about a boy who got transmogrified into a koala. And oh. um, yes, made himself quite a pest around the house. Uh, <laughs> it was in no way autobiographical. <laughs> That's what you say anyway, right? Okay, see, so what about when you sort of get in your teens and your early 20s? Do your tastes change or is it just still Star Wars and that fantasy sort of world that you're into? Do my tastes change? They don't change, but they develop. Okay. Um, because the Star Wars prequels happened. Ah. Um, <laughs> and I suddenly went, hang on, why did the original Star Wars connect? And the prequels, look, I love them. I genuinely love them. I also recognise that they are badly flawed movies. Um, mm. And uh, The Lord of the Rings came out as well when I was uh, 14. Harry Potter became a phenomenon. Um, and uh, I think that 
I developed a real taste for world building, uh, also developed a real love of languages, uh, and I think that was actually Tolkien's influence to some extent. Um, and um, uh, reading The Lord of the Rings as well, and uh, Terry Brooks and getting into fantasy and adventure, uh, realized that uh, mythology and storytelling, it's at the heart of who we are, and it's how we make sense of this world. Uh, and to be fr perfectly frank with you, the world didn't make sense to me as a teenager. It still doesn't make sense to me now. <laughs> I think if the world does make sense to you, uh, you're in need of some serious psychiatric help. Um, but um, for, for me, that was, that was where it kicked off. The love of mythology, the love of the hero's journey, the love of, um, of storytelling, uh, the joy of it in itself. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's, that's where it, it goes. And uh, my, my parents also, you know, um, they loved the classics. They loved, uh, they wanted, they desperately wanted me to love the classics. Mm -hmm. I read them. I read a lot of them. <laughs> um, I learned a lot from them. I didn't necessarily connect with them in the way that I connected to the Lord of the Rings or, or Star Wars, but... In retrospect, I appreciate just how much I actually gained from that experience. Mm. What you're describing there to me, Julian, sounds like you've got this love of storytelling, but it's a very, and a bit in love of mythology and in the stories that you're reading, but it's a very active um, love. You, even when, as a kid, when you're you know, watching Star Wars and then you're finding out there are other versions of Star Wars, you're not just passively accepting these stories that are washing over you but you're actually thinking about them from a very early age. Is that accurate? That is perfectly accurate. I was always a very active participant in storytelling, um, even when I was passively receiving it. And I think that's actually true for everybody. We all, all of us as the audience, as the readers, we are all engaging with storytelling and the process of story creation, uh, whether we're, um, consciously aware of it or not and I suppose from from the beginning it's 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 that realization that you're an active participant in storytelling uh, whether as a reader a viewer a creator but that's that's the first step towards being a creator I think and did you say you're going to be a writer or a storyteller when you were a kid <laughs> I didn't say it no. Um, what do you say you're going to be when you grow up then? Oh, wow. It depends what age you caught me. Um, <laughs> when I was very young, I wanted to be a cartoonist. Um, yeah. And I did come back to that a few times. Um, after I watched all of the... Um, and I tried my poor parents' patience with the Lord of the Rings extra features on the extended <laughs> DVDs. I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, but uh, I kind of... Uh, convinced myself that or other certain people in my life convinced me you can't make any money that way you will never succeed um, and so you should study something that will get you a job um, and uh, in retrospect I see that that advice was well-meaning it was uh, 
it came from a place of love and concern, but it's something that I'm really realizing uh, more recently, and it's it's a really empowering realization that you are the hero of your own story, and your own story is yours to tell mm. and craft. Uh, and so it was only uh, years later as an adult that I really started to take the craft of storytelling seriously, uh, that I started to um, really actively invest in educating myself in storytelling. Yeah, Dylan, what did you say you were going to be when you grew up? Uh, probably wrestler. <laughs> Still that time. A fine, fine aspiration. Oh yeah, aiming high, you know. <laughs> I um, yes. Well, I, uh, I I can't say I ever had that particular phase. I used to like to tell people that I was going to be a pro wrestler when they asked what I wanted to do when I when I finished school, uh, purely <laughs> for the look of exasperation on their faces. <laughs> Okay, so you've got more in common than I maybe your first thought. Okay. Uh, so Dylan and I met at high school, and Dylan is going to attest that I was very, very cool. Um, the girls wanted me, and the boys wanted to be me. That's right, isn't it, Dylan? If you say so, Lonnie. Yes. <laughs> That's maybe just me telling my own story there. What was school like for you, Julian? Look, I'm going to get very honest here. Um... I experienced a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety in school and uh, I found school a very unkind place um, and a very isolating and lonely experience. It turned around for me though in my final year uh, because I realised just how, um, how many friends I really had without even knowing it and how many people cared about me um, and invested in in my well-being and I had friends who really went actively out of their way to befriend me and bring me out of their shell and sorry bring me out of my shell and uh, that's that's those people have stuck with me for the rest of my days uh, and I'm profoundly grateful to them because the power of Friendship, kindness, love, it's so much stronger than anybody gives it credit for. And it sounds quite silly and quite crass, no, not crass, but a bit naff, I suppose. But it's true. Uh, and I think that that's a lesson that I will never forget from school. No, I 100% agree with that. Um, I mean, that's pretty much why we started this podcast right Lonnie yeah well yeah we're good mates and we want to sort of yeah, cultivate that friendship and um and we want to make you know if we ever get a sort of community around this podcast we want to make sure it's um kind and welcoming place I think it's really awesome what you guys are doing uh making the conscious effort to cultivate the friendship um and to maintain that friendship um based around mutual interests, based around um, the nourishing aspects of your friendship um, and to build a community and and really actively invest in, 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 in making something special because that's what we're doing here. That's 
all of us are involved in creation of community, whether we realize it or not, and we can make a positive contribution to that com community or, or, or a negative one. And a lot of people don't realize that they actually are making that choice every single day of their lives. Yeah, that's well said, Julian. And th thank you for the nice comments there. We, you know, we just try to have a bit of fun, but we do you have to keep those things in mind that, yeah, you, t you make active choices every day and, you know, no one's getting out of this place alive. We should try and make it a good place while we're here, you know? Mm. Look, now, I'm not nice. I'm just honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Julian. So you get to uni and you study ancient history. Talk us through that. Well, I started out studying education, which was a spectacular mistake. Um, uh, probably the... Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but yes, I did, I did six months as a, a, a teacher training and realized that I was still a kid myself. Um, and so I bailed out um, and I did six months. Uh, I just said, right. Uh, much to my parents' chagrin, they, they uh, were quite worried about me, but uh, I said, I'm going to have a get a job. And I worked at the local library, and I worked at the Kmart across the street. And uh, uh, I tell you what, I learned more in that six months uh, than I think I have ever learned in my life. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and uh, I also really enjoyed the double take that people would do when, you know, I do a morning shift at the library and then duck across to my other job at Kmart for the afternoon. <laughs> and uh, the double take, the people were like, didn't I just see you? And I'm like, no, it's just a glitch in the matrix. Uh, and then they look at me weird, which uh, I didn't mind. Um, but um, yeah, so eventually I did go back. Uh, I'd always loved ancient history and I loved it in school. Um, I, uh, 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 my dad is um, an historian. He's not an ancient historian or a classicist. Um, but, uh, you know, when I was a kid, we watched I, Claudius, and uh, thank God my parents didn't stop to ask whether it was appropriate or not, because there's a lot of blood and boobs in it. <laughs> um, but it was uh, a really profound, had a really profound impact on me. Uh, uh, I think I completely freaked out my, my grade three teacher by reenacting it with sock puppets. Um, uh, <laughs> and... Uh, Eventually, I did go back to uni, and I studied ancient history, and uh, I studied ancient history for a long time, uh, actually. Um, uh, I finished my degree, and then um, uh, and I studied Latin and Greek, uh, and I learned, finally, how grammar works, um, and uh, uh, my uh, Latin lecturer she said to me, oh, when are you submitting your application to do honours? And I said, what? It hadn't even occurred to me that I was good enough to do honours. <laughs> um, and so I did honours. Um, I did my thesis on, my honours thesis on um, the ancient Greek novel, um, uh, novels in ancient Greece, um, particularly the portrayal of pirates uh, and piracy that a lot of people aren't aware of the existence of Greek novels, um, of novels in ancient Greece. They're the, um, that's where prose fiction starts, though, uh, extended prose fiction. 
Uh, and guess what? It's all bodice-ripping, hi-ho adventures on the high seas uh, with pirates and shipwrecks, and it's it's amazing. Um, <laughs> it's very pulpy, I'll say that. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but then um, uh, I reached a bit of a crossroads in my life um, in that my, my wife and I were expecting our first child. Um, and uh, we decided, uh, initially I decided, nope, I'm not going to do any further study. Uh, I'm just going to uh, go and get a proper job because that's what you do. Um, and then I got um, that same Latin teacher said, so when are you putting your application in for your PhD? Uh, and I went, well, no. Uh, and I explained. And uh, anyway... Um, to cut a long story short, uh, I was invited to apply for a scholarship, so I got paid to research. Um, and I was looking for a thesis topic, and uh, I was sitting in the waiting room for our first scan, uh, for first ultrasound. And it got me thinking, I wonder what the Romans would have thought of this, because they didn't have medical imaging technology. Uh, what would they have imagined was going on inside the uterus? Where did they think babies come from? And then I thought, oh, would they, at what point does the baby become a fully fledged member of the family? Uh, is it before birth? Is it after birth? Is it sometime later during childhood? And suddenly, you know, bing, um, <laughs> I, I suddenly had a light bulb above my head. Um, it caused a distraction. Um, and <laughs> we, um, uh, so, so I spent the next, uh, a uh, few years researching uh, Roman and Greek attitudes towards unborn children, and particularly their their influence on the development of early Christian ideas. Um, and uh, from there, you know, I finished. I got my PhD, and and uh, I realized that um, you know, being a being an academic, being an historian, you've got to be willing to move around a lot um, and um, you've got to be willing to be itinerant actually an itinerant um, researcher uh, seasonal work um, for a long time before you can hope to aspire to to an academic job a permanent job uh, with the stability that my family needed uh, so I made the decision uh, my family's well-being was more important than than my academic career uh, and uh, so I, I settled down and I, I got, I, went, I did go back to teaching for a bit and that didn't work out because I'm not cut out for a career that involves inspecting children's socks. Um, <laughs> and then um, uh, I went back and I did, um, well, I, I got a job, a, a fairly ordinary admin job. Um, and I started writing. I start. I went back to that love. I've rediscovered that love of storytelling, um, and that love of that love of understanding the world. The love of the world as expressed through stories. Um, and I was able to use the research skills and the knowledge that I gained uh, by telling stories 
with a really mythological bent, um, uh, but also very strong roots in history. Um, and a lot of the research that I had done on people's attitudes in the past and the history of everyday life is, is actually a lot more uh, important to, to being a writer, I think, uh, because you know the details, the sensory details, the, 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 and you're able to engage all five senses to build your world. Um, in a very powerful way, uh, because that is how we perceive reality is through the senses. And if you can evoke that through your words, that will make you a much more powerful storyteller. Wow. Well, I want to get you on sometime maybe to talk about that um, thesis you wrote, because it sounds quite fascinating to me. And Oh, well, I'd be happy to discuss it. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, um, I also want to th just thinking about the story you've told and how many sort of dips and dives your life has had. It's, do you ever think like if you pull out one of those things, the rest of it sort of falls away? And I think about that in my life sometimes, like good and bad, everything that's happened, not happened for a reason. But if you take out one element, just so many other things would change automatically. I think of two things. I think of Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning which argues that humans, he, he, he was a survivor of the Holocaust and he, he was a psychiatrist and he was recollecting his experiences of the Holocaust uh, in Auschwitz. Um, and, and his argument essentially is that humans are driven not by the pursuit of pleasure as was the um, kind of Freudian uh, dogma at the time, uh, it's that humans are driven by a search for meaning, to drive, find meaning in their experiences. Um, and that this, the pursuit of um, a search for an objective meaning of life, it's, it's futile, it's pointless. But if you can find meaning in your experiences, then you will be happier, much more fulfilled, and I believe that storytelling is the process by which we draw together those disparate threads of our experiences, our lives, to, to create that meaning. Um, the other thing I think of, and I'm always going to take it back to the Greeks, is uh, the word rhapsodos was the Greek word for a storyteller, uh, for, for, a, for a bard. Uh, a traveling storyteller. Um, it's synonymous, though. It's not synonymous. It's a, it's a homophone for the word for a weaver. Somebody who draws together the threads of a tapestry. So what you say, Lonnie, about the threads of your life, it really resonates with me. Hmm. Look, Julian, normally we talk about the Hamburglar or wrestling or something on this show, but you've made it so much more interesting and deep today. I'm always, I'm always up for that too. <laughs> um, so I want to throw things to Dylan in a second about, you know, he's got some questions about the creative process for you. Before we get there, I read this quote once and I don't have the exact quote, so just my memory of it, but something along the lines of that most Americans have in the back of their minds that if they just make one good movie, 
everything will be fine. Everything will be all right if they just get that one movie or create a project out there in the world. And a lot of people want to be writers, but not everyone gets a book published. How that happened for you, Julian? What gave you that push to get your work out there? That's an interesting question. I actually don't agree with this idea that it's just one thing that will change your life forever. <laughs> there are careers like that, and um, uh, but they're the exception, not the rule. What I find with creativity and creative careers is that it's the it's a confluence of little things. Um, that the constant effort to create more content and put it out there, it eventually reaches a critical mass. Um, and uh, you, you almost by accident uh, f almost fall into success. Like I, I do believe that there are a lot of things that you can do to influence whether you're going to be successful or not. But what we need to do is stop focusing on the product, Fo stop focusing on the success that it imag we imagine it will bring, and focus on the joy of the process, of the creative process. I think that um, as far as what, what drove me to put it out there, um, look, I, I was, wrote this novel, I wrote the first Ashes of Olympus. Uh, it started when uh, I started writing The Way Home when uh, uh, it, it's based on Virgil's Aeneid and it's about the Trojans. Uh, after the end of the Trojan War, their city is destroyed, the royal family has been slaughtered and suddenly uh, it's up to this kid, Aeneas, who was the 20th in line for the throne Suddenly, he's it, um, and it's up to him to lead his people on a journey across the seas to find a new homeland. And the story really started to work when I, I became friends with a refugee from the Bosnian War, um, and hearing her horrible, horrendous experiences of of heartbreak, um, of seeing her family murdered uh, in the street, um, and and that she was displaced. She didn't have a home. That's something that so many of us take for granted. And this was years after the war was over, by the way. Uh, and it was that moment that it came together, it was real, that I realized what I was really dealing with. It's a story about gods, yeah. It's a story about magic and swordplay and adventure and all the things that I love. What it's really about, at the heart of it though, it's a refugee story. It's about the search for a homeland to find a place for you where you belong. And that is something which I think is universal. We all need a community. We all need to know that there's a place for us in this world. As for what made me want to put it out there, um, it wasn't fame, it wasn't fortune, it wasn't any of that garbage. It was, it was, I just 
wanted to connect with people. C.S. Lewis said that we read to know that we're not alone. And I see writing and the storytelling process, one of its functions, one of its many functions is to let other people know that they're not alone. That, and, and I think that I wanted to be published because it meant my story could get out there. Because without a reader, a story is, is inert. It's dead. It's, it's never going to find the people who need that story and who can create that story in their minds and who can, getting back to what we were discussing earlier, to create that, um, to, create, to find that meaning in the story and to, to engage in the creative process. So that's why I wanted to get it out there. I, I, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. And I, I think about what you're talking about, people wanting to get famous or just do the thing that's going to um, get them out there. And that's just a shallow way of thinking about having a creative career, I think. I really do think that the work that, most of the work that actually gets out there and connects to people is made with a this genuine interest in something someone has something has genuinely something to say. And even if that's like I'm gonna make the scariest movie ever or I'm gonna write the funniest book or something like that, it has to come from a genuine place. Also what you just said there about um, the story needs a reader, that goes back to what we were talking about being an active participant because as you say, yeah, you could write the the best thing ever, but if no one actually reads it, well, what's the point? Then the story's only half finished. Exactly right. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Now, on that, I'm going to throw things over to our main man, Dylan. I think he's got some curly questions about the actual creative process for you. What do you reckon, Dylan? Oh, they're not that curly. They're, they're pretty easy ones, I think. I hope, anyway. <laughs> Don't want to stump you, Julie. But, you know, see how we go. Appreciate that. I'll do my best. <laughs> but first off, I have to know, before we get into any of that, you mentioned you love Star Wars. Yep. What, what's your favourite one? What's your least favourite one? I have to know. Oh, wow. Um, the Empire Strikes Back, I think, is always going to be my favorite of the lot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very hard to, ju- to judge them objectively, though, because I was experienced to all of them, uh, particularly the first six, so young. Sure. Um, 
but Empire Strikes Back will always have a special place in my heart. There's an elegant simplicity to the original movie, though, that I really just adore. Um, uh, so it's always going to be a close call between those two. I have feelings about the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> there are so many aspects of the sequel trilogy that I love, genuinely love, and that I genuinely connect with, but the uh, execution was not quite what I'd hoped for, personally. I hope that's 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 a good answer. No, that's perfect because that's pretty much me as well. I'm I flip between four and five as well, and Rise of Skywalker is also my least favorite. So I think there are there are so yeah, many so... things I love about the Rise of Skywalker, um, mm. and I'd actually love to sit down with you guys and have a chat someday about what actually did work in the sequels because we spend so much time harping on about what didn't work. Um, I think that we overlook the aspects that did, uh, oh, yeah. while acknowledging that they are terribly, terribly imperfect movies. Yeah, no, 100%. I'd be up for that. I've definitely got some, some positives about the sequels and some negatives, and I'm sure Lonnie does too. Yeah, it's a, it's a big topic. <laughs> um, one of Julian's ideas he told me once, Dylan, was that The Rise of Skywalker makes much more sense and be much more enjoyable if it was released in 10-minute chunks. Yeah, well, um, twenty-minute chunks. Oh, Twenty-minute, okay. Yeah, like the Clone Wars, basically um, oh. as a serial. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the problem is, there's a lot of rich material in in the Rise of Skywalker. You know, uh, Ray has to finish Luke's final quest uh, to to find the lost planet of the Sith. Um, to get there, she needs to overcome her growing fascination with the dark side, come to, come to terms with who she is as a human being, and also deal with her growing sense of attraction to Kylo Ren. On paper, that sounds great. And in concept, that sounds great. I found the movie jumps around so much, um, particularly in its first, uh, first half hour. You visit mm. like eight planets in the first half hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, by that stage, you're already lost, um, and it's actually really hard to find the narrative thread uh, through the movie because it's so. And it is; it's a very episodic movie. You can, I, I, I did. I actually watched it in twenty-minute chunks, and it works in twenty-minute chunks. But as a movie, as a compilation. What it reminded me of was the theatrical release of the original Clone Wars movie where they literally took four 20-minute <laughs> episodes and yeah. just just put them together and called it a movie. Yeah, and also with that, it's like, you know, Jabba's son being kidnapped. I mean, that's a pretty interesting concept for a, an episodic TV show, for a, a movie, and especially like a Star Wars movie, first theatrically released one since Revenge of the Sith is a, you know... Yeah, it was a bit, bit of a meh. yeah, a bit of a mess storyline. Yeah, I I didn't like the the Clone Wars movie, and I thought it sucked <laughs> to be honest. But I I I think it was a huge mistake to release it theatrically. Um, I think that if they had uh, done it as uh, a TV episode, a TV special, then the delivery would have been a lot stronger. Yeah, hundred percent. And unfortunately, like if. 
you know, canon and that's important to you. It's not really something you can skip either because it's like Ahsoka first coming in and everything like that and, you know, learning um, to tolerate Anakin and the other way around as well. Yeah. And it really did grow on me, though, that the, the Clone Wars, it had a shaky start, but it became some of the best damn Star Wars I've ever seen. Uh, I don't know if I like the concept of a canon, though, oh, yeah. uh, as, a, as an idea. I know this is a bit radical and weird, but I, uh, I, I really like the idea that stories are stories. Um, and I think that, again, taking it back to Star Wars, it, it's, it's, like a, it's like with uh, King Arthur or Robin Hood. Um, there are so, so many different tellings of the story which focus on different aspects. Mm. Which is the canonical one? Uh, which is the true version of the story? There is none. Sure. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think that sometimes I think that we rob ourselves of a lot of joy by quibbling over what's canon and what's not. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think that's um, kind of the appeal of like, uh, especially for myself anyway, with DC with like their multiverse and their Elseworlds and that sort of thing, where they can yeah. just tell these different stories about these characters in completely different situations as to what they normally would be and like, you know, the canon stuff, as it were. And, yeah, it's just fascinating stuff. Like, you know, Superman landing in Russia instead of America. What's that oh, like? Oh, yes. Red Sun. Yeah, <laughs> yep. no, it was... Yeah, I really I really enjoy that sort of thing, too. Um, mm. In fact, I enjoy that more than the mainstream comics. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's really good. Uh, I think the best comic I've read recently was Superman's Secret Identity, who the author's name completely escapes me at the moment, and I apologise for that. But uh, Anyway, we've got enough topic. <laughs> I, re I read that one too, Julian, and I really liked it as well. Yeah, I remember we uh, we were talking about it at work because we were like, oh, I read that last week too. <laughs> we're very similar, aren't we? Yeah. Did you start that? Did you read that at Aldi? Did you, sorry, did you pick that up at Aldi? Yeah, I got mine at Aldi. It cost like $5. <laughs> that was good. Uh, it was, yeah, yeah. That's that's when I knew. Yeah, I have to keep in touch with Lonnie. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. And that is something that Dylan and I talk about a lot. Is like we need a good Superman movie. Yeah, I really. I was listening to your episode about Paddington, and uh, oh, mm. D Dylan. I think you made the point that we need to have a Superman movie that's more like that in tone. A yeah. movie about radical kindness, um, mm. rather than focusing on rather than leaning in to the violence inherent in some tellings of that story, uh, which I think is what we've wound up with, um, I'd really love to get back to the Christopher Reeve days. Um, and people might say that there's no audience for a light, fun superhero movie and with, with, a, with a nice person as a hero, but I point to Shazam. Mm. Um, it works. It does work if you're true to the character. Yeah, yeah, and even Captain America, in a sense, he's oh, a very, yes. very nice man. Everyone loves him for being who he is and sticking to his morals, even though he's a man out of time. That's what people love about him. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we <laughs> went off on that tangent. <laughs> <laughs> that was good for me. Um, but I'll ask you some questions about the process as well, the creative process, Julian. Yeah, um, let's do that. Have you ever had writer's block and if so how have you dealt with it oh good question um i've never experienced writer's block in the 
classic sense of, oh, God, I've got no ideas. What's wrong with me? Um, <laughs> sure. And I really hate the portrayal of – I hate the way the writers are portrayed in, portrayed in movies, for starters. Mm. Um, uh, but I really hate um, uh, the idea that, you know, if an author can overcome a problem in their personal life, that will unblock them from writing. Um, <laughs> and you'll see the pages just pile up as they pound away at the typewriter oh, yeah. in a montage. God, I wish it worked like that. Um, <laughs> but writer's block. I have had the experience of being too self-critical and too anxious to write. And one thing which I'm learning and I'm still learning and I will continue to learn probably until you know, I'm all corpsified and gross. Um, <laughs> I, 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 think that, I think that the cure is self-compassion. Mm. To say to yourself, it's okay. Um, uh, and that, that voice in your head that's telling you, you're not good enough, your writing's crap, um, that this isn't coming out as good as you had it in your head, that's a thing. Um, it's 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 not. I, I used to just say, "Shut up, stupid, angry voice in my head," um, and critical voice in my head. Um, and uh, I'm going to try even harder to write. But sometimes that can be really counterproductive. Yeah. Um, what I have found works much better is pausing listening to that self-critical voice, listening to yourself and taking a bit of a step back and listening to yourself and instead of responding with feeling, with, with, with anger, responding to you, responding with gentleness and love and firmness, like a lot of people think that gentleness is a sign of weakness. It's not. It's actually a sign of strength. To be able to say, actually, what you're saying to me isn't right, and it's not right for X, Y, Z reasons, yeah. and from there, the writing can flow. The other thing I'll say is, sometimes it can be a sign that you're writing the wrong thing. Sometimes it can be a sign that actually something's gone wrong with the writing and you need to backtrack a little bit because you're going down a bad path or something doesn't feel real and your gut is trying to tell you that it's not right. It's something which... Overcoming writer's block is something which comes with experience. It comes... You build the confidence from having past success. That's true of absolutely anything. Yeah. Um, and you, you overcome it gradually, step by step, and through self-knowledge. And it's something that it actually gets easier with time. Also, sometimes I think that, particularly for new writers, um, they think of their project as something huge, something too big, too overwhelming to even conceive of, and it becomes this thing, this crippling anxiety of, 
I've got this massive idea in my head. I don't know how to, I can't even approach it. And so they just stop. They give up. Sometimes I think the best way to approach that, that sensation, is to say, look, we're going to break it down. Break it down to chunk by chunk. Chunking it, they actually call it. <laughs> um, and funny that. Um, and you, you, you break it down to its smallest constituent components. And you're like, I'm not going to write a novel today. I'm going to write 200 words today. I'm mm. going to write a page. Or even breaking it down smaller than that, I'm going to write down a sentence. Um, is, is you, there's an old saying that you can't edit a blank page. Mm. And um, look, I'm part of a, I'm part of a, I'm quite actively involved with another podcast, The Best Seller Experiment, which is a, a wonderful podcast with a wonderful community around it. Um, and they, they started this thing, the 200 words a day challenge. Um, where, you know, average novel length is about 70,000 words. If you can write down 200 words a day, you will have a novel in a year. Um, and look, I usually write considerably more than 200 words a day, but sometimes when it's not working, that's actually gotten me through because it helps me to maintain that flow. Uh, and that's really good. The other thing is, I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit, aren't I? No, you're right. Go I don't always like the way the emphasis on structure um, in writing courses. Um, structure is easy. It's not that hard, um, which is why they love to teach it. Um, mm. It's something... You know what is hard, though? It's writing a scene, creating a character, building up a character scene by scene and line by line to create a person. Um, and to, to be able to um, uh, articulate that, uh, to, to be honest, I think that we start with structure and, and that, I think it's a mistake to start with structure. It's a mistake because it makes, it, it makes the student think of the whole. It makes the student think of the, the, the big mass of the story. Uh, and it's like telling them that they need to create a forest when all they need to do is plant a tree. Yeah. So I say, if you're stuck, start small. And again, it's the cumulative, the accumulation, the culmination of little things. They will build you up. They will carry you through. Yeah, very, very well put. Very well put. I love that. Thank you very much for that, Gillian. And next question I had, sort of a more general one for you. Uh, are there any, like, movies or shows that stand out to you or that you admire in particular for, like, their writing and their dialogue? Oh, wow. Um, the first thing that... Um, Avatar The Last Airbender um, I is my favourite show ever. 
Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I think that the writing on that is absolutely outstanding. Um, and uh, the sense of pace, uh, the, the construction of the characters, the close attention to detail with the characters, um, and the world building, um, and, and the voice of it. It's actually a really funny show and very light, even though it, and it's very much not just a show for children, it's a show about children, um, and that's actually really hard to pull off. And it's a show about children for children that's about genocide and war uh, and deals with some really heavy themes, but it does it with the lightest touch. I love it. I think it's just amazing. Um, I'm going to give a special shout-out as well to a show that is pretty much the polar opposite of Avatar, is Rome, HBO's Rome, um, uh, which incredibly violent and grisly, um, but uh, they gave a new take on ancient Rome by making it historically authentic. Um, it's not accurate. Oh, hell no, it's not accurate. They <laughs> like 20... They compel about 30 or 40 years of history into, like, you know, two seasons. Um, and the children never age, um, <laughs> despite the passage of the years. But it's just, there's a colour to it and a vitality and a real sense of that these are real people. Uh, I really enjoy that. And it's got this, both shows do have something in common, though. They've got a kind of a heightened dialogue. Um and they've got their own vernacular, their own language, which flows and it feels natural. And that is not an easy accomplishment. No, that's fair enough. I understand. Um, makes sense why you like Avatar. I believe our, our boy from the Clone Wars, Dave Filoni, was, uh, worked on that. He did, for his yeah. first season. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think that it was that that attracted, uh, that they, that attracted George Lucas' notice. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, that's great. Thank you for that as well. And last question, pretty simple one, or it might not be. What's your favourite book of all time? You think that's a simple question? <laughs> Come on, Dylan. <laughs> I said it might not be. I said it might not be. Um, look, I don't really have a favourite book as such. Um, okay. Once upon a time, I probably would have said The Lord of the Rings. Mm. Um I think I always remember Terry Pratchett saying, you know, if you reach your 30s and The Lord of the Rings is still the greatest book you've ever read, then something's gone really badly wrong with your life. Um, <laughs> but Terry. Um, <laughs> I, I still love The Lord of the Rings. Um, um, I don't know. I don't necessarily believe in having a favourite book as such um, because – Whatever I read last is usually my favourite book at the time. <laughs> um, I'll tell you a book that I really loved was The Watchmaker of Filigree Street by Natasha Pulley. Um, was, um, it's, it's set in the 1800s, um, and uh, it's about a telegraph operator in the, uh, the home office in London who um, intercepts a telegram with a terrorist threat to blow up the building 
one month in one month's time um and you know a month comes a month goes um the uh, our, our hero he receives he comes home and he he finds that somebody's broken into his house um and they didn't take anything they left something they left a watch a pocket watch a pocket watch that won't open um until until we get to the fateful day and everyone's bracing themselves for the building to blow up um and uh it doesn't and everybody celebrates they all go to the pub across the road uh suddenly the watch that he's carrying with him that won't open suddenly it does open and it emits this horrible screeching noise um our hero he runs out into the street um because everyone's looking at him like what the hell's that noise and suddenly the pub explodes behind him the terrorist threat they weren't going after the building they were going after the workers and suddenly he has this mystery that he has to solve and of course he's under suspicion as well um and it sounds it sounds almost like a thriller in the way that I've described it, and it has that compulsive quality of a thriller, but it's essentially a story about love and human connection. Um, and it's exquisitely researched. It's actually very well written uh, and very light. Um, the prose is, is absolutely uh, sensational. Um, the main character, um, he has synesthesia. Um, he, sees, he sees sound. Um, as color, bursts of color, and to me that's something that um, is such an unusual viewpoint and something that you can pull off in the book really well in a way that maybe wouldn't work in other media. Uh, but yes, that's that's at the moment that's my favorite book. No, fair enough, fair enough. I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty much all I have for you for now. I'll ask you a quick question just from talking to you. I'm getting a kind of vibe. Have you ever read Neil Gaiman's Sandman at all? I have read Neil Gaiman, some Neil Gaiman stuff. I haven't read Sandman yet. Okay, okay. It's on I reckon my TV list. Yeah, I reckon you should get amongst that. I reckon you'd be all over that. Yeah? Yeah, cool. 100%. percent look into it. Thank you. That's all right. A little recommendation for you. Yeah, no, no. I always appreciate it when people people share something that meant something to them. It's It's, it's great. He's um, always been on about that one, though, so... <laughs> oh, <shit>. come on. <laughs> <laughs> Means it's good, right? Yeah, I guess Absolutely. so. Okay, so I've got a little game plan for us. Um, you guys ready? Absolutely. Right, well, I'm taking your um, idea of, you know, piece by piece, um, the heart here, Julian. Fellas, we're going to write a novel together, one word at a time. Okay. Oh, God. okay. oh God, Lonnie. Yeah, okay. I'll start, then Dylan will come in, then Julie, and then keep going, and we'll just just keep going until we get those um seventy thousand words. What do you reckon? I think we're all gonna die, Lonnie. <laughs> I think. Frankly, we're we're all going to die anyway. It's just a matter of when. So why not? Uh, I'll be grateful for the editing process. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, we'll give oh, it a yes. go. We'll give it a few minutes and see how we go. All right, I'm gonna start. <laughs> There. 
Who's next, me or Julian? Dylan, you go next, then Jack. Ack. There. Was. Okay. A. Man. Who? Sat. Near. A. Fireplace. This. Was. A. Very. Interesting. Event. I think we broke it, Lonnie. <laughs> okay. Let's just do one a little bit more and then we'll see where the story's going to go. Okay. okay. However, the cat ate nine sticks. <laughs> I'm loving it. Let's keep going. Then the cat met someone who didn't like the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> What a bold stance for them to take. <laughs> All right, and that's a good story. Let's keep that going. Maybe, maybe we don't put this in because we could develop that and then pitch it to some movie studios. What oh, yeah, someone might steal that idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Copyright an idea, Lonnie. <laughs> and frankly, in that case, you wouldn't want to. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to wrap up in a minute. Um, but before we get there, Julian, could you please um, tell us about your books? The Ashes of Olympus oh. Trilogy, I hear it's um, finishing up soon. Can you give us a little of an overview, a quick elevator pitch, and just um, yeah, information about that really cool book? Cool, cool. Um, it's, um, it's a tale of an exile, um, and uh, uh, it has a terrible pitch. It's a refugee story from a world of gods and magic. And um, book one, The Way Home, is um, about uh, the, the quest for a new homeland. It's an adventure story um, uh, of good versus evil. The second one, The Ivory Gate, um, uh, our heroes realize that their accomplishments in the first book are actually, um, they're not quite as done as they thought they were. Um, and uh, they, uh, their adventures lead them on the path to the underworld uh, and the world of the dead. Uh, and the final book, um, The Seven Hills, culminates in the rise of Rome. Uh, that's not a spoiler. Um, and uh, it's, it's a war story. So first one's okay. an adventure, the second is a character-driven drama about human mortality, and the third is a war story. And it's um, coming out soon. Do you have a date yet? Uh, not for the third one. Uh, but yes, I just finished the draft of the third one. But the first one, uh, The Way Home, is available through any good online retailer, uh, as is the second one, The Ivory Gate. Um, I've also got one other trilogy, um, Tooth and Blade, uh, which um, is finished. Uh, it's a series of, of short, short but sweet novels. Um, it's about a girl named Dota, and it's about Vikings. It's set during the Viking Age. Um, 
It's about a girl who's raised by trolls, and uh, then she has to find her way into the human world and figure out how to be a human. Um, uh, but her, uh, the troll family still holds a claim to her, and eventually she's going to have to find a way to uh, bridge the gap between the worlds of humans and beasts. I Sounds pretty cool as well. I hope that um, was a good enough elevator to pitch. <laughs> that, tri- <laughs> that, that trilogy is complete. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll um, put some links in our show notes to all your, all your assorted published works. Thank you. No worries. Now, we do really recommend that our listeners follow Julian and read his books. Um, is there anything else they can do for you, Julian? Is there anything you want to plug in particular, or it's just those novels? Yes. Um, I'll tell you something that's exciting. Um, uh, I think that the recent events with Facebook, um, uh, they blocked my publisher's page for a week, which was really scary. Mm. Um, uh-huh. And uh, I guess it's real. that made me really realise that I can't be at the mercy of... Um, uh, other people for my platform and so what I want to do now what now that I've got the trilogy finished I want to build up my own platform uh, my newsletter um, which I recommend to absolutely every creative out there have a newsletter um, a platform which truly belongs to you and a mailing list um, it's it's hard work uh, but that's very much the direction that I want to go. I want to start pulling away from social media a bit. I'll still be there. Uh, as it's a convenient way for people to get in touch. Uh, but, um, uh, so, so can I just ask if anybody's interested to subscribe to my newsletter, they'll get free stories, um, short stories. Um, I'm about to release in the near future my next series uh, that I'm working on which, um, uh, The Kingdoms of Grimm, uh, which is a retelling of, um, uh, Grimm's fairy tales as big, sweeping, epic fantasies, Tolkien-esque, uh, marrying up my two greatest loves of, of, you know, old stories and trashy fantasy novels. Um, (laughs) and, uh, yes, there's a a novella, which I'm going to release for free uh, as a thank you to newsletter subscribers. Uh, so I'd really love to, for you to be there. Okay, so we'll, we'll definitely um, link that in our mm. story, in our show notes as well. For a second there, Julian, when you're talking about Facebook and you're getting your own platform, I was like, are you going to start your own Facebook? <laughs> it's going to yes. be the Julian Barr social network. <laughs> Mace Mook. Um, <laughs> no, yes. maybe not. That's okay. Um, and probably better for the world if we have less social media platforms in some ways. See, I, when, it, when the whole Facebook thing went down for us Aussies, my first thought was, right, we need an Australian uh, social media network, and you can call it Mate. Um, <laughs> and you know what? If anybody's listening, you can have that idea for free. Okay, well, you know, we have a, a big listenership, Julian, so if you see that come up in the next few months, I think this is where we'll, we can draw it back to here. Absolutely. Uh, well, I really, I'm really glad you came on board today, Julian, because it's been a really fascinating chat. I hope Dylan's had a good time as well. Is that right, Dylan? Oh, 100%. 100%. Loved it. That's good. And I hope we can um, catch up again soon, Julian, and have one of our story sessions. What do you reckon? That sounds phenomenal. I'd love that. Yeah, excellent. Uh, now, Dylan. Yeah? 
is it just a story that you and I are on all the social media platforms? It is, but it's a true story. Um. <laughs> okay. What about the um, the tale I heard that our listeners should um, give us a rating and a review on their podcast app? That's a, that's a great tale, Lonnie. And uh, if you do that, good things will happen to you. Have to, surely. And should they also spread the word that we're on, that this podcast is great and they should listen and all their friends should um, listen as well? You bloody know it, mate. Of course. <laughs> yeah, thank you, our boy Mark Irons, for the theme song. And once again... Thank you so much, Julian. Oh, you're more than welcome, and it's it's been a real pleasure to be here. That's great. I miss you, man. I miss you, man. I miss you, Julian. I miss you guys too. I actually do miss you, though, Julian. I'm not just saying that for the show. <laughs> I miss you too, Lonnie. <laughs> I miss you, I miss you, man. I miss you, I miss you, man. Do I... up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 